This is Real Talk with Ben Tompkins, presented by Four Roses. All right. What's good, everybody? How you doing? Happy hump day. This is Real Talk. I am Ben Tompkins. We are presented by Four Roses Bourbon. And welcome to Uber Stories Part 14. By the way, if you're curious about the music that we use on the show, I have put together a couple playlists for you guys. Uh, You can find them on Apple Music and Spotify. One is the intros that I've been using since June. Uh, Fire, okay? That one's titled Real Talk with Ben Tompkins, just as the show is. The other is called Uber Bangers. Bangers with a Z, all right? Shout out to Miley. If you're curious what me and my people ride around the city and vibe to, there you go. That one's like 15 straight hours of bops, all right? All EDM. Sometimes I switch it up and I'll play some of my other playlists with rap on it, but those days are kind of rare because I know not everybody loves rap music, but everybody vibes with the Uber Bangers playlists, even the grannies. I got grannies out here banging this shit, all right? And they love it. So go grab that off of Apple Music and Spotify. Uh, I'm going to post it on Facebook too, so there you go. Enjoy, my friends. We got five stories today, and next week we're going to do the best of the best. I am going to put together five or six of the greatest stories that I have encountered and conversations that I've had since the beginning of June, okay? And so that'll drop next week. I am headed down to New Orleans this weekend. We are leaving. My girlfriend and I, we're leaving on Thursday. We're going to drive down, and uh, we're going to be there for Halloween, and I have ordered this, uh, should I say how expensive it was? I don't want to be like the, I'm, I, I don't want to be the douchey guy that's like, oh, I spent blah, 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 blah. Like, but let me just put it this way. I spent some money on a movie grade costume and it is a onesie. It's a zip up uh, of Sully from Monster Zinc. And my girlfriend Maddie is going to be Boo. And so she's got this big oversized pink t-shirt and some purple leggings. And that's my boo. That's my boo. All right. So we're going to go down to New Orleans and we're going to have a great time down there. And uh, I can't wait. I love the gumbo. The last time I was in New Orleans was for the Sugar Bowl when Louisville went, uh, when they beat Florida. They beat the shit out of Florida. That was amazing. No one thought that I didn't think that they were going to win. No one thought that they were going to win except delusional Louisville fans. And they pull off that upset. That was amazing. So that was like the beginning of 2013. That's the last time that I've been in New Orleans. So Maddie and I are going to go down, eat some gumbo, walk on Bourbon Street, you know, see what's popping. Unfortunately, Voodoo Fest is not going on this year. Fuck COVID. But uh, it's going to be a great time nonetheless. So we'll have some stories from that. But I want to get into these stories today. Because there's a handful of good ones, and a couple of these are really deep, are really deep. And I already know, I'm, I'm going to get emotional, and I, I don't even fucking care, all right? I got a one-liner of the week, a couple of firsts that I'll get to later in the show. I had a really cute older couple that got in. They were Midwesterners, so just overly nice about everything, right? And this was Sunday night, and I was just doing three rides because I had to hit this incentive. So they were my second out of three rides. And I told them this. And they were like, oh, sorry that this ride isn't longer for you, you know? But I said, well, even better than money, you can give me a story. <laughs> and they went back 20 years and told me the story of the night that they fell in love and how one person's death gave life to their relationship. It's a good one. So we'll close out the show with that one today since you know I always like to end on a positive note. And I also have two stories that are these are these are like really heavy, all right? And these are these are my favorite types of rides. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I love the savagery. I love the weird shit. People get in, they just start telling me stuff that you just wouldn't even believe unless you've been listening to this podcast week in and week out. And if you have, thank you very much, my friends. All right, good shit. Good to have you with us. Um, those ones are great. And they make for the most entertaining stories when I'm telling other people, you know, hey, what do you do? Well, blah, 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 blah. Oh, tell me a story. Okay. But the ones that are deep emotional stories, the ones where I'm giving encouragement to people, I get off on that. I fucking love that. And I was dropping off these two people, totally separate writers, totally separate days. I was dropping them both off at treatment centers. Okay. They were both on their way to go to these recovery centers. And I was the last person that they were going to see on the outside before they went in. And as they're telling me their life story and why they were headed to these places that they were, by the end of the rides, I felt compelled to give them that gas. Like I like I do. I mean, like that's just like, like I do, all right? Cassie was one. Her name's Cassie. Again, remember, all names anonymous, all key details changed around. All right, here we go. Cassie was headed into this 21-day drug treatment center, and she basically laid it all out to me. I mean, gave me her fucking life story in a 45-minute ride. So I'll give you the strongest parts of that ride, plus my man Dom. Dom was headed out of a really bad situation, and I could tell he really needed some real talk. And I gave him a fucking speech at the end, dude. And I got to tell you, it was a powerful moment. But basically, before I dropped him off, I really gave this dude a fucking minute speech and just just absolutely try to give him some fucking juice and some power because I was proud of him. I told him, I'm proud of you. You know, I say that to people, you know what I mean? And that goes so far. It goes so far with people and you can see something in people when they, when they, when they feel that and they feel like fucking like, yeah, fuck yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's my shit. That's my shit. All right. I'm getting emotional. I don't give a fuck. That's the type of shit that I fucking do this shit for. Like, that's what matters to me. <laughs> I'm sad, but I'm happy. I swear to God, all right? It's just, ooh, <laughs> I'm an emotional person, all right? <laughs> Gosh, damn. But, 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 man, I, I just, this, this dude just needed it. He needed that. You know what I mean? Like, he was about to start something, and I. Here's the reason I was. He was about to start something that was going to be very difficult, and he needed this from somebody, you know. And I can be that person, and if I can be that person, I'm going to be that person for every single time that I wish I had that person. That's what it really comes from. That's what's real. <coughs> oh my god. <sighs> All right, let's get it. Had to take a second to get it together there, but let's get it. We'll call this guy Dom, right? I pulled up, and I'm waiting on Dom for several minutes. So I called him, and I said, hey, man, I'm out here. And he said, all right, man, give me a couple more minutes. I got like three bags, but I'm on my way right now, though. Do you need help? Um, psh, yeah, I do. No, no, I, I don't want to ask you to do that. No, I can just bring him out. No, absolutely not. All right. I'm on my way out now, though. About five minutes goes by, and finally I see him coming out, and he's got these 40-gallon clear trash bags filled with his belongings. Shoes, clothes, I see a basketball in there. Everything he owned in the world was in those three trash bags, plus a walking cane, which I'll get to in a minute. 
So after he puts it in the trunk and gets in, I say, you moving out? He said, yeah. It's not a breakup, is it? Oh, no, it's a recovery home. They assist with transitions, and uh, I need to transition from that place. What happened? There's two guys in there that knew me on the street that I didn't like. And one of them had asked me to do something. I said no. We started fighting, and I figured out it was just best that I go. Why do you want to fight? Child's minds, man. Real childish shit. And I'm not trying to go back to jail. Just as he was saying that, his phone starts ringing. But he didn't answer it. He just let it ring. After a while, it stopped. And then he asked if Kentucky won. This is on Saturday. We talked sports for a minute. And then I asked, so how come you got the cane? I was involved in a hit and run. Guy was going 65 miles an hour. Hit me underneath the car. I was dead when they brought me to the emergency room. And they had to resuscitate me. God. Yeah, it was bad, dude. It was real bad. It was really bad. It was real, real bad. I owe everything to the city of Louisville, man. It was real bad. Do you know how long they worked on you? Over 23 hours. I swear, if I explained the story to you, you'd understand. It was real bad. Real, real bad, dude. Damn. And no one ever got him? Nope. Never did. Fuck that guy. Yeah, it's going to come back around to get him. God got me on that one. Uh, So he's talking about the Old Testament God. I like this guy, all right? I say, how long did it take you to get out of the hospital and recover? I only stayed there a couple of weeks, but it was real, real bad, dude. It was bad. Like, I can't even front. It was real, real bad. Do you feel different? And I meant that in the sense you know, what it's like to die and then come back to life. But he took it a different direction. He said, I do. I feel vindicated. I feel like this is my second life. It's a blessing because I died, dude. It was real, real bad, real bad, real, real bad. What was that like? It was uh, a spiritual awakening. And for me to appreciate where I've been, I found out, I miss my friends. I found out that everybody loved me because everybody pulled together for my recovery. I found out how much I love Louisville and the state of Kentucky because everybody stayed by my side. I wouldn't be here without the city of Louisville, man. Did you experience anything when you crossed over? I experienced the white light and I experienced the love of Jesus and God. Just knowing that this is your second chance. Seize the moment. Shit. Yeah, it's real bad, dude. Real bad. Well, I'm glad you're still here. Yeah, man, thank you. What'd you go to jail for? I went to jail for... I didn't do it, though. I swear I didn't do it. I did not do it. Just look at my eyes, dude. You can tell if a person is lying by the way their eyes look and the way they move around when they're speaking. And on God, there ain't nothing but truth in my eyes, dude. It takes a lot when you push me to put my hands on you. And I mean, you can look at me, dude. I'm a beast. I'm benching over 400. My hands is trained. My mind is trained. Well, what were you accused of doing? Tell me that story. Well, with the prison charge... That's like a long, drawn-out story, but I am 
totally innocent of that. My girlfriend will even tell you, and I'm going to be able to get that totally expunged. But the assault, they said that I pushed my aunt in a chair and smacked her. I would never do that. And I didn't know that my aunt was suffering from dementia. And my mother was the one who put the charge on me. And I mean, so I'm done with her for life, forever, ever, ever. But I did not do that to my aunt. I still cry over that. Because my aunt is the person who is the reason I am the person I am today. Now, with the other charge, that was against my ex-girlfriend that I still love to this day. And I love her from the bottom of my heart. As soon as we ended our relationship, we stayed friends. And right as he's finishing this last sentence, his phone starts ringing again. And without even skipping a beat from saying, we stayed friends, God damn. If I don't answer my phone, why would you keep doing that? That's real fucking stupid shit. Uh, When we first met, I met her through a friend, and she was three and a half years celibate. And she asked me if I would wait until we got married and do this separate chapter. And I was like, I want to tap it, but she is my best friend. I love her with all my heart. But anyhow, they said that I pushed her and threw her on the couch. Now, that was December of 2018. That didn't end until May of 2019, so five months. They dragged my case along just for a petty-ass assault four charge and broke us up and everything, man. I still love her to this day. That was one of the best relationships I've ever had in my life. I love her, dude. We was best friends. Her son, which I adopted as my own son, I mean, that was my little dude. I mean, I I love Brad, dude. I love him, dude. We was real close. So it was just too much stuff that was happening in that apartment, but it is what it is, but... I'll always love her for eternity, and I'm pissed that it happened that way. So I'm like, all right, you know, he he, I'm I gotta take him at face value of what he says because he's talking to me like like he he's talking about love and like he seems like a really kind of like straight up dude, right? Um, but also when his phone rings again, like his his kind of anger comes out and it's like triggered so easily. He's like, man, how the fuck you going to keep calling me? And it's like, OK, so maybe he's got a short temper and he's been accused kind of not of like, you know, beating the shit out of like one of these women or getting but, you know, pushed down. So I'm I, I ask, were you all fighting and wrestling around? You know, because some, I think sometimes people can. People can commit like a petty crime, do something, but they can talk themselves into being innocent because in their heart, they believe that they're innocent because I, I think it's a, like a justification thing. And I'm not saying that this is what he was doing. I'm just saying like, this is my, this is kind of where I'm, I'm referencing is like, you know, <laughs> the guys that are in prison for tax evasion or mail fraud or whatever, they look at the guys that murder people and they go, yeah, I mean, I'm a criminal. You know, I'm locked up in a federal penitentiary, but at least I didn't kill anybody. Yeah, but you still committed a crime, right? And I think sometimes 
guys that are involved in domestic disputes and domestic violence, um, they think if they don't kill the woman or if they don't push her down the stairs or if they don't beat her with a baseball bat or like really fucked up shit, if I just push her down, then really I didn't hurt her. And I think that guys sometimes can convince themselves that when they put their hands on a woman, they can, they can say, well, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't mean to do it. You know, and it's not like, oh, I flew off the handle and I'm, uh, I'm getting aggressive with you because I hate you and I want to kill you. It's just, I lost my cool and I put my hands on you. I pushed you. I yanked your arm. I, I you know, grabbed your arm, whatever. And they can talk themselves into being innocent and they believe it. They're like, well, I would, I didn't do it like that. You know what I mean? But you still did it. I don't know if he did it or not. I, I, I mean, I, there's no way to me possibly know that, but I really, I mean, I want to believe this dude that he's, that he's, you know, that he's being honest that, that he didn't, you know, but, um, you be the judge, you be the judge. Okay. So I say, were you all fighting and wrestling around? He says, it, it wasn't even that. It's a, it's a drawn out story. It happens. And this is somebody else that had done it in the end, and it was just a threat against both our lives. So we had to say it like that, because when the cops came, both of those charges said in, 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 innocent. No, it didn't say innocent. Uh, Not guilty is what it said on the depositions, because the cop drew the depositions out in the car, and it's like, ain't no fucking way he did this. Because when the cops came, I was holding her, and she was shaking. Somebody else had, you know, had done it, man. Well, I was just running my mouth, but anyways. And they thought you did it? The cops did? The cops knew I didn't do it. And they still wrote the police report like that? They wrote the police report, but the report, he put not guilty on there. He wrote it out. He already put it on the deposition. He's like, this guy is no, ain't no fuck. I swear, dude, there's no fucking way he's not guilty. You know, I'm sitting there holding her. And Brad, we, all three of us is holding each other. She's shy. I'm about to cry, dude. Because she's like 4'11", man. She was my everything in life. And she was shaking, dude. You know, but. You know, and he really dialed it up there. Um, so I'm like, so somebody else had pushed her? Like, I'm, you know, I'm trying to make sense of all this, right? As I'm sure you are as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to leave it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it is what it is. I put it on Jesus proof. You can look in my eyes. There's no way I would have done that. We had the perfect relationship. She was everything to me. Well, I'm sorry that all that's happened. Yeah, it hurts still. It takes time to heal from something like that. And uh, I hope you find that again. I hope you, I, you know, I, I really hope you find that again. Yeah, I just got to keep it moving. Can't let people like those dudes back there get to me. I don't want to turn green on somebody. Because then once I turn green on you, then I'm locked up for life. Because I'm talking about my hands is goddamn tested. If I turn green on you, you're going to lose. You're going to lose real bad. My hands is straight, dude. And I'm not going to lose. And they just brainless, man. I mean, real child shit, dude. Get crossed. I mean, I'm looking at you and, and you look like you work out. Look... 
how big your right shoulder is. Ain't no way I would try to test you. And I start laughing. I'm like, hey, gas me up, king. And me and you, we kin for kin. We look the same. Both of us is big. So why would you keep on trying to pet a pit bull, he says. Ain't no way I would fucking try and argue that or try you, you know? I say, yeah, no, I know. And some people, you know, like your roommate, like guys just have a fucking death wish. That That's what it is, dude. These dudes just want to fuck with fire. And then they get burned and that's on them, you know? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. It's like you're a grown-ass man, and you're going to make decisions, and you're going to live with your decisions. So if I leave you with fucking brain damage, right, laying in a pool of your own blood, right, preach, man, that's what you fucking get. Keep on, because it is. Eat. Let's eat. And I said, let's eat. Like if two dudes agree, okay, we're going to put them up. We're not going to reach for the gun. We're not going to fucking knife each other. Like, put them up. And whoever fucking wins, that's it. And there's no, your guys come back and shoot me up, just one-on-one, let's get it. And don't have somebody come up and punch me in the back of the fucking head. Like, it's just you and me, square up, and if you're about it, then you gotta be okay with whatever happens. And you roll the dice, and you take your chances. True. So true. Man, you right. And just as I'm saying this, we're like just about to pull up to his destination, and he says... Thank you, Ben. I said, no problem, man. That shit pisses me off. He says, it does, dude. But I pull it back a little bit, you know? I want to rein it in because that's what he's trying to leave behind. And here I am talking about violence, and he's, like, getting into the violent part. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, yeah, fuck yeah, come on with it. You know, like, talking about guys drowning in pools of their own blood. So, you know, kind of, like, really prone to violence a little bit, you know? And uh, I'm like, okay, let's, 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 let's rein this in. Let's bring this back, okay? But you know what? Sometimes, I told him, it's better to not give people that satisfaction because that's all they're trying to do. And they're just going to try to pull you down to their fucking level, dude. And they just want to throw you off your vibe. They want to drag you down to their bullshit. And if you just, like you're doing now, I mean, I, I like, I'm proud of you. I'm really proud of you that you're removing yourself from what sounded like a tough situation over there before it gets fucking out of hand. And you know what? That means to me, whatever you've gone through in life, you've learned either from your own mistakes or from other people's and you're putting it together, man, and you're making changes in your behaviors and that's what's important. Yeah. So keep that shit up, G. And just by this point, I've stopped at his destination and I turn and I look at him in the back seat and I put my fist up for Nux as I say that. Keep that shit up, G. And he says, thank you, dude. I love you, Ben. <laughs> I said, I love you too, man. He said, hell yeah, man, for real. Thanks for giving it to me. That was, uh, like, I'm, I'm conflicted, you know? I really want to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I think that you have to give people a chance until they fuck up, and they, and they don't deserve that chance. And to me, this is a stranger. He's never fucked up with me. And this dude's talking about love and adopting this chick's son, and you know what? Like, yeah, I, but I know that anger is as powerful as a drug, and it can just come over you, and rage is 
one of the most powerful emotions that people possibly feel. And sometimes when you just lose control and you let rage get the best of you, you can become a totally different person. And I think uh, some of the people that would excuse their behaviors to say, well, I was just doing this or I was having a bad day, you know, or people can convince themselves that they're totally innocent. You know, I would never do that. But, you know, I don't know. Did he throw his aunt down? Did he throw his ex-girlfriend on the couch? Like, I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. Um, but I know that, um, you know, whether it's fair or not to say and judge, uh, when his cell phone rang a second time, he did, like, raise his voice and get, get you know, upset when other people would usually just, you know, ignore it, you know, make it stop ringing. Or when I was talking about, you know, what happens when guys agree to to fight you know what i mean like okay we're gonna do this and just live with the results and he was like yeah 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 like getting really fucking amped up so i don't know um all i know is that i judge people based on how they treat me and i think that's the golden fucking rule treat others how you want to be treated this dude treated me with nothing but love and respect told me he fucking love me i've got no reason to believe um and you know what like Good people sometimes do bad things, and, and I think uh, people are deserving of second chances. Unless unless you fucking murder somebody, you know what I mean? Like, I think, I, think, um, I don't want to live in a world where we get one shot, and if we fuck up, then you're canceled. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't live in that world. That's not fucking reality. That might be Twitter, but um, that that's just, it is what it is. But um, yeah, man, that, that got me pretty emotional. This next one, honestly... Gets me emotional as well. This is honestly, this is the saddest story I've ever fucking heard. Honestly, probably, like, this might be the saddest story I've ever heard in my life. And uh, we're going to get uh, pretty raw here. Um, It's got a positive ending, but this story just gets worse and worse every step of the way. This is not for the faint of heart. We'll call her Cassie. I scooped Cassie way out in LaGrange. She comes out with a suitcase, and I'm thinking, cool, airport ride, right? Longer rides equal more money. But this was even longer than an airport ride. 50 minutes, all right? When she gets in the car, I say, you know, kind of same thing. Like, hey, you moving out? And she says, no, I'm going to treatment for 21 days. Rehab? Yep. Congratulations on even just starting that. That's awesome. We start rolling, and she is looking out the window, and and she says, today is a pretty day. I said, it's a new beginning. New beginning. New beginning. So, my first week is going to be terrible, but after that, I'll start feeling better. Did it give you anything to help wean you off of? And I trail off, because I don't know what substance or substances she's going there for. You know, I just know that I'm taking her to this 21-day treatment facility, right? She says, yeah, it's a medical detox place and they have services for mental health and stuff. So I said, what's your poison? What do you think? Uh, heroin or pills, but like opioids. What else? What else? Mm, Alcohol? Coke? Nope. I only like heroin and meth. We talked drugs and sobriety for about 10 minutes. We talked Alcoholics Anonymous. I shared with her a couple stories and examples about some of my infamous self-defeating behaviors, right? And I was willing to be vulnerable with her as I am with anybody that wants to 
open up and, and talk with me and share with me, I'm, I'm certainly going to share with them. Um, so I shared with her the half marathon story, uh, plus a few others that I only tell people off the record. And we talked about therapy and mental illness, and then I asked how old she was when she started using. And she said 13. I was 13 years old. What did you start with? Opanas? What were they? Opanas? I don't think I've heard of those. Wait, how old are you? 28. They were a really strong pain pill that they made for cancer patients who were at the end of their time. Have you heard of Oxys? Yeah, I've heard of Oxys. Okay, they were basically stronger than Oxys and the FDA banned them in 2017. But yeah, started doing all that. Did someone in your family have cancer? Yeah, my dad did. So you just had pills laying around. What do you mean? Pills laying around? What do you mean? Well, yeah, like easy access to some of his pills. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how it starts for a lot of people. Oh, no, no. I wasn't taking his pills. No, we would never take my dad's pills. Heck no. He needed them. No, this was more of like a street drug thing. I don't know. My sister, we're 13 years apart, and she had got hooked on Opanas really bad. And she gave me some of them and then started doing it with me and stuff, and it just went on from there. And every time she had drugs or something, she'd give me some, and I'd try whatever. She introduced me to all the drugs. When was the first time you tried heroin? So I tried heroin with my sister when I was maybe 18, but like I wasn't addicted to it right then. I would just snort it here or there. I just, like it wasn't no big deal at the time, you know? It was kind of like cocaine, just a little party drug. If you was around, somebody had it, you'd do it line, but she wasn't really worried about it, you know? Well, then when I was 20, I met this guy and he had been a recovering addict for 10 years, but he was sober. But he was on heroin really badly, shooting it up and using the needle. And I didn't know nothing about the needle because my sister, she didn't use needles or anything like that. And uh, he ended up relapsing and starting using it again. And I started doing it with him. But I didn't use the needle. I would snort it. But I got to doing it every single day. But I didn't realize what it was doing because I didn't know nothing about withdrawals or anything. So I got to doing it every day. And one day... I don't know, but I went to stop, like, all right, I'm done. But I remember, I don't feel good, you know? I was like, man, I don't feel good. Something's wrong. I'm sick. Like, I think I got the flu because it feels a lot like flu-like symptoms. I'm like, I think I got the flu. And my boyfriend was like, you're dope sick. I was like, what do you mean dope sick? He said, it's called withdrawals, and if you do a line of dope, you won't feel sick anymore. I was like, no, that's not what it is. I'm not addicted to dope. I just do it, you know? So I waited a couple days, and I still felt like shit. He's going, I told you so. So I'm like, fuck it. I go ahead, and do a line, whatever. And I did it, and I felt better immediately. And I was like, what the fuck? That's when I realized, oh, shit. And then it had me. And if I didn't do it, I'd get sick. So I never went without it. I always made sure I had it. And then it just never stopped. And once you do it every day and try to stop, it don't work like that. It just don't. After three days of doing it, you'll already start to have withdrawals if you don't do it again. So I asked her, out of curiosity, I mean, honestly didn't know, how long would you stay sick if you just didn't do it? What do you mean? 
Like, how long would it take to not feel sick anymore? Like, how long do those withdrawals last, right? Physical withdrawals, that's usually 7 to 10 days where you just feel like shit. You got the flu, but it's like a really bad flu. And it's different, like detoxing off of it from snorting and shooting it. When you're detoxing off of it, when you snort it, that's a little bit more bearable. But detoxing when you're shooting it, it's a lot worse, way more intense. Were you scared the first time you tried it? Yeah, I was nervous. I was nervous, but my sister was right there saying, you'll be okay. Ain't no different than Opana. Ain't no different. I was like, all right. And she just talked me into it. So at this point, my mind's on the sister now, so I ask, how's she doing? And this is where the story just goes from already, you know, addiction is a sad thing. Uh, This is where the story goes from just a sad story to the saddest story I've ever fucking heard in my life. Cassie says, so when I was 20, I started doing heroin every day and I never stopped for four years straight. And my tolerance just kept getting higher and higher and higher to where it was ridiculous the amount of money we were spending. And in 2018, towards the end of 2018, me and my boyfriend were going through a really bad time because of drugs. We had gotten so bad on drugs, it was just tearing our relationship apart, tearing our families apart, like everybody around us that loved us. It was a sad, sad situation. We were so bad on drugs, and growing up, like, I would never see myself as a heroin addict, but whatever. But anyways, in 2018... It was a really bad time for us. Got into drugs really bad, started selling drugs together because we were doing so much. I was doing over an eight ball of heroin a day and I was miserable as fuck. Doing over an eight ball a day, spending all that money. I don't want to be getting high no more, but you can't stop because now I done got my tolerance all the way up to over an eight ball a fucking day and my withdrawals are going to be unbearable. Like I would rather die then go through those withdrawals. I am dead serious. And I end up using the needle for the first time. And I was so against it. I hated that shit. You know, my boyfriend did it, and I fucking hated it. It grossed me out. And the whole time we was together, I would be so mad. He would shoot dope all the time, and I would tell him, go in the other room and shoot it. I don't want to see it. That shit's fucking nasty. Nasty Nasty-ass fucking shit. I'd cuss him out. You nasty motherfucker. Why can't you just snort it? But I didn't understand. Like, what is so good about it? And then he would do it at the house all the time. But then he would bring his friends over and think that they were going to do that shit in the house. And I was like, absolutely not. I already don't want him doing it in the house. So I definitely don't want y'all over here having a little dope fiend shoot-up party, you know? I said, yeah, the last thing you want is for somebody to OD on your fucking couch. Oh my God, that's happened so many times. We've had to bring people back to life so many times. Narcan? Yeah, yeah. You give them CPR and stuff, that happens way more when people shoot it. So, long story short, I ended up getting all pressed out, tried shooting dope for the first time, and I just, I'll tell you, never try shooting dope because once you do it that first time, you don't go back. There's no going back. So from 2015 to 2018, I snorted it until the last couple months in 2018. I started banging dope. I only banged dope for two months, 
but I had banged so much dope within those two months, I blew my heart valve off. And I had myself very sick. I got a blood infection because I didn't know how to shoot upright. And I didn't know how to hit myself. So I would just be stabbing myself all the time and trying to hit. Didn't know if I was in, out, whatever. I had blood and stuff everywhere just trying to. It was nasty. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I gave myself a blood infection. Do you know what endocarditis is? No. Okay. It's an infection that goes to your heart. So I end up getting endocarditis. I had staph. I was septic. I was a congestive heart failure, lung failure, I had pneumonia, I had an aneurysm, and I had necrosis. Fuck. My pee is as dark as coffee, and it stunk so bad, it was literally black. And I didn't know, I, 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 it was black because it was blood, because my body was shutting down. But I just thought that I had the flu and a UTI or something, because they say when you get a UTI, it makes your pee dark. And endocarditis is like flu-like symptoms. But I didn't go to the doctor or nothing. I just tried to wait it out. And I just kept pushing and pushing it back. And I kept doing more and more dope. Just kept doing massive hits of dope. Just trying to make myself feel better. And I was getting so high out of my mind, I didn't even realize how sick I really fucking was. And it got to the point, I literally for a week straight, I laid in my bed and could not get up. I couldn't do anything could barely lift my head off the pillow my ankles were this big around and she holds up her hands in the shape of a softball so from my knees down my legs are like this big and then from my knees up the rest of my body was like this big around and she holds up like her finger and her thumb you know what I mean like small I ended up dropping my weight to 90 pounds I was 90 pounds soaking wet and I was so sick My friend had to come over and take care of me. I was pretty much dead. And I would just go like that and stick my arm out for him and he'd have to shoot my dope up my arm for me. So my sister had been in the hospital for two days, but I didn't know that. Didn't even have my phone. Was too sick to look for her. My aunts come to my house and they knock on the door and my friend answers it and they haven't seen me. They walk in the room and as soon as they walk in, they was like, hold on, we forgot something, and they walked back out. And they told me later, as soon as they see me, they had to walk back out, and they just started bawling their eyes out, and they had to really get it together before they could come back in the room. But they walk in, and they say, hey, your sister's really sick, you need to get dressed, come on, we need to go see her. I'm like, I can't, y'all, I'm sick, like, I can't get out of bed. They're like, what's wrong with you, you dope sick? You need dope or something? Here, here's a couple dollars. Get you some dope. How long is it going to take them to get here? I was like, they'd be here in 15 minutes. They said, all right, we'll call them right now. Come on, hurry up. Let's get your clothes on. So as soon as you get here, you're ready to go. We're going to get in the car, ride down the street so you can take care of your business, handle all that stuff, and then we're going to go. Cassie said the dude came and all that. Had my friend take care of all that for me. Couldn't get up, didn't get up. My, My aunt's come back came and got me they're like what are you still doing laying there I'm like I don't know y'all I don't know but something is really wrong with me I just don't feel good I'm sick and it's not that I'm dope sick it's something else this dope's not helping I'm just doing more and more of it like it's not helping I'm not getting high I don't know what's wrong with me so they literally got me dressed from head to toe 
help me from the car like an old freaking meemaw. And I get in the car and we go to the hospital and they literally wheeled me up there in a wheelchair because I couldn't walk. And I didn't know how sick my sister was. They just told me she was in really bad shape and you need to get up there and see her. So I get up there in the room and she's on full life support. She's on dialysis. She's on a ventilator. She's unconscious, in a coma. Her whole body is swollen. Fluids aren't flushing through and stuff. Her feet were black. They were completely black where they wasn't getting no oxygen. Her circulation had cut off. And her feet turned purple first, but then they turned black. And once they turned black, like, her feet had died off. And then her fingers. They were black too. Was she dying? Yeah, she was dying. So I'm up there in the room looking at her. And I was so sick. I was like... I can't breathe. So I had them take me downstairs to see what was wrong with me. I'm like, all right, sissy, I'm sick. I'm going to have them take me downstairs to see what's wrong with me, and then I'll come back up here and see you, but I'll be back to see you. I'll be right back up here. I had her take me downstairs to see what was wrong with me, and when I go down there, they all start panicking. Like, all the nurses and doctors, oh my God, you've only got a 30% chance of living. You're running a 103.5 temperature. Don't even know how you're still alive right now. They told me if you would have waited another week, you would have been dead. You would have laid at home and died in your bed. And it was like, what the fuck? So couldn't even believe it, dude. Couldn't even believe it. And you know, I never got to see my sister again. They kept me in the hospital and I ended up going on full life support. I was on the ventilator for 22 days. And while I was on the ventilator... My sister had been there for eight days, and they pulled the plug on her. So she had died while I was still on the ventilator. And they had her funeral and everything, and I was still on the ventilator. And they couldn't tell me because I was in a coma and shit. Well, I finally came to after 22 days. I still didn't know she was dead. I didn't find out until two months later because they didn't want to tell me because they knew how I would have been, wanting to go to the funeral and everything. But they said I couldn't leave the hospital or I would have died. I ended up being in the hospital for five months straight. I was in there for Christmas, New Year's, Valentine's Day, all that. I ended up having seven surgeries. I had two open heart surgeries. They replaced my heart valve. I've got an artificial heart valve. I have a pacemaker now. And I'm 100% dependent on it. My lungs were so bad that I had four lung surgeries and I lost a part of my left lung. So, yeah, I was a hot mess. So I got out of the hospital. They said if I ever used again, it would kill me. So I stayed sober for a year, but then I relapsed October 2nd. And I relapsed from October, November, December. And in January, I went to rehab. I got out in February And I stayed sober for a few months. And I'd be like, oh, I can just do it one more time. Just one time. That's it. And did it one more time. Fucking went on another run for a month or two. Got sober again. And, oh, I can do it one more time. Just one more time. So I've been doing that. I've been getting sober for a fucking few months. And then, oh, I can do it one more time. And then going on another few months bender. So I'm really just fed up 
and tired. I'm sick and tired, and I'm tired of detoxing and shit. This life is so miserable, and you can't even have a life being on heroin and stuff. It just don't work out. I said, it consumes everything. It consumes everything, literally. When you're on heroin, you live a double life. It's crazy. So I'm going to come back here because when I went to rehab in January, that was my first time ever going to rehab my whole entire life. And I've been a drug addict since I was 13. That's over a decade. So instead of detoxing at my home by myself again, I decided I'm going to go ahead and come on here because maybe I can get some knowledge on some stuff and I'm going to try the shot before I leave. Do you know anything about the shot? Mm -mm. Well, they give it to you once a month and it's an opiate blocker and alcohol blocker. So you can't drink or do any kind of opiates on it because it'll block it from your brain and you wouldn't be able to feel it anyways if you did. So it helps with cravings and, you know, like the first time that I got out, I never wanted to take methadone or suboxins because as soon as you get off heroin, then you're addicted to that. And you can only take it for like six months and then you get the withdrawal. So I never wanted to do that because you're telling me I'm going to take this shit to get off heroin but then still have to detox the detox drug? It don't make no fucking sense to me. But I'm going to try the shot and hope that it works. Now, I had pulled up and parked like a minute ago, right? Because this was a long, like, I've, and I've even condensed this story, believe it or not. But it was every bit of a 50-minute conversation and a 50-minute ride. And I had pulled up and parked. And so we've just been sitting here in the car talking as she's finishing up her story. And now as, she, as she's, you know, saying, you know, basically resigning herself to the fact like, I'm here. I'm going to try the shot, and I'm going to hope that it works out. So she's unbuckling now, and she starts to open up the door. And I say, well, hey, listen, I'm really proud of you for coming here, and I'm really happy that I could be the one to take you. And I really hope that you've kind of had enough, and I'm really proud of you that you're making this change and getting serious about it, and I really hope that it sticks, and I really hope that you're able to meet some people and kind of see it from an outsider's perspective where you're looking at somebody else and what they're going through and just being like, I've had enough of this and really staying consistent with that change. And I know it's going to be hard, but I know you can fucking do it. I know you can. She looks at me and she says, word, you be careful. And I'm glad you took me too. (laughs) Two rides this week where I'm taking people in transit to go to their 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 new program and their new home for a little bit. And um, you know, I really like I, I'm I'm a firm believer that um people come into your life for reasons, reasons, seasons, and change. And I hope that um I'm that person for, for these people. You know what I mean? Like it was that ride that they were supposed to have. It was that moment in the universe where they really needed something and our paths were crossing and I I was able to give that to them and be that for them. And I'm really fucking proud of that and I'm really happy about that and I'm really proud of them for that as well. But that was absolutely, and I'm just, man, I am listening to this story and that was my first ride of that day Cassie was. 
So when I'm on my way to the next rider and she's only two minutes away, when she sits down, she asked me how my day was, this next rider. And I was just like so overwhelmed with emotion at that point because that's literally the saddest story I've ever fucking heard in my life. And I needed to unload because it was just so heavy and I had no time in between rides. And it honestly, it honestly took me plus another rider to get over like how heavy that was. Like you, you feel like I've just, you know, exhausted myself emotionally, like listening to this. And I feel, I feel exhausted. You know what I mean? Because that was just so just like, you're just like tight the whole time. Like, oh my God, like fuck dude this is just a harrowing account of like how bad it can get and how bad it is for people and it's 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 sad and um it's it's life man that's 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 some people's reality you know what i mean so um i didn't want to sugarcoat it and i know that was a long one but i didn't want to sugarcoat it or cut anything out because you know what, maybe, uh, you know, maybe you need to hear or, or maybe you know somebody that needs to hear like, hey, I've, I've got a friend that's kind of being risky with some decisions that they're making. I think they need to hear like and, and th- these are the type of stories that you'll hear if you get in the room um, and by the room, I mean Alcoholics Anonymous or um, Narcotics Anonymous or any of those groups that meet, you're going to hear some fucking gut-wrenching stories that are just so raw and so real that you can't, you, you, it, it's it's painful to listen to, but you can't stop because it's just so enthralling and it just, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm, <sighs> I'm getting caught up in it again, and I've already gotten emotional once. I'm my emotions. I'm I'm emotionally drained after just two these two stories. You know what I mean? Like I have no I have no tears left at this point because I'm like, <laughs> oh my god! But that was God. That was that was the first that was the first ride of that day, and um, you know what though? Like it is a happy ending. In the sense that she's in a better place, and that's that's something to be happy about. And I meant everything I said to her, you know? I really hope that it sticks this time. All you prayer people, say a prayer for that. Say a prayer for that. Say a prayer for Cassie. <sighs> All right, let's, uh, let's lighten the mood a little bit here and reset a little bit, okay? Um, some of the rides I'm getting now are to the point that I'm sharing them the stories and handing them the card at the end, which is pretty cool. You know, at the first couple months, like most of this, most of this was just basically interviewing and giving free therapy to people. And I, I do that still, obviously. Um, but sometimes, you know, when people either aren't giving me a story or they start, you know, hey, what do you do? And then it's it's not necessarily about the writer. Then they're asking about me, and then I go into my, you know, kind of uh, elevator pitch, and I start telling them about the podcast and the stories. Um, and it's getting to the point where if I just, like, sometimes I'll just be like, hey, you want to hear a good story, you know? And they're like, yeah, sure, fuck, what's good? What's up? You know what I mean? And so then I start telling them stories, 
And so that's a really good mix. And I hand him a card at the end, and uh, I really enjoy those ones because, you know, then I've got a live audience, and I can feed off of, you know, somebody instead of just speaking into a microphone and looking at Adobe Edition, you know what I mean? Like, I've got a live reaction to go off of, and I'm just noticing where people laugh or where they go, oh, you know what I mean? Like, but I picked up, uh, like, a handful of characters from Jeff Ruby's Downtown, and they were saying there's literally no other Ubers online and they take care of me if I fit this extra person in the car. So I'm like, all right, come on. So as we're riding back home, I'm taking them home and they're all, you know, socially lubricated with a couple of drinks, right? Hopefully Four Roses bourbon. And I'm getting them home safely and they start asking, you know, the the the, the woman who's lapped up on her husband in the front seat and these are like, you know, 40 or 50-something white parents, right? And... They start asking me, like, oh, what do you do, blah, 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 well, give us a story. So I give them the Metro Station dick-sucking story, and they fucking ate it up. Like, they loved it. They were fucking rolling. And the guy, you know what, to his credit, he was like, at the beginning, he was like, I'll take care of you if you take care of, you know what I mean? Like, let us let us slide here. There's no more Ubers online. He did end up taking care of me. He did. He, he did me pretty well. So that was a good ride. And I've had a handful of others where I'm giving them the stories and I'm just like, I'm selling them. I'm, I'm selling them to become a listener. And people are loving it. People are loving it. Uh, fuck, man. Last week, I dropped off a couple at the airport and I told them the Metro Station dick sucking story. And she literally gets out of the car. Um, they both do. But she gets out of the car and says, best Uber ride ever. You know what I mean? So those are fun. And when I can start to have this mix between getting content and getting stories, but also expanding my reach and handing out my car, my business cards and, and getting new people listening and I'm seeing the results on Facebook, my page views are going up, I'm getting likes on there. Um, that's awesome. And and uh, thank you to all new listeners and to my riders that are rode with me. We ride together. We ride together, man. We ride together. So anytime, I got you. Um... I did have a couple of firsts in this last week. The first time being a chauffeur to somebody that was not in the same day. If you guys will remember, I think it was Uber Stories Part 8 or 9, the Derby Day edition. Uh, I picked up uh, Ross and my buddy Kirby. They they were my first ride of the day. And then they were like, what are you doing later? I think we're going to be way out down 42, uh, basically you know, in Henry County at this wedding venue. I don't think we're going to be able to get an Uber. We'll pay you 100 bucks to come pick us up later on tonight. And I was like, all right, cool. But that was in the same day. But I had somebody ask me if, you know, hey, in about a month, you know, can I take your card and I need to go and do this. Like I, I'm going to have a couple of things that I need to do. You know, what do you charge per hour? You know, and people ask if they can hire me. Um, I get that kind of, uh, you know, kind of a lot, you know, hey, do you, do you, you know, do you have a card, can I call you if I need a ride, and I'm always kind of hesitant, because honestly, for me, there's not a lot of upside in doing that, I need randomness, I need stories, I need content, I need new writers constantly, right, I don't need to have the same person multiple times, the same reason I don't do Uber Eats, no rider means no possibility for content, but when I do pick people up, and if they want to hire me, um, I told this person, who we'll call Janice, who was a previous writer with me before, like about a month ago, I told her $60 an hour. 
when she asked. And even that is low. Even that is low. And my rates have now gone up because the top option in Louisville for black car service charges $100 an hour. The second result on a Google search, the company charges $65 an hour. And the third they charge between $80 and $120 an hour, depending on the type of travel. So at $60, I'm well below my competitors. And I have now raised my rate. When people ask, it's $85 an hour if you want to hire me to drive you around and, and basically hang out while you do whatever. And it's $85 bucks an hour. But I tell this woman, Janice, at the time when she asks me, hey, yeah, $60 an hour because I had no idea. I, I hadn't, like, I literally called around these other places to see what other people were charging because I just never have really dealt with that and never really wanted to be the guy that's like, yeah, here's my business card. Call me whenever you need a ride. And then I get like, you know, 100 people from around the city like, hey, can you take me to the CVS up the street? And I'm like, come on, what the fuck, man? You know what I mean? Like, so even when I say that to her, $60 an hour, that's low, okay? Anyways, I say this, she agrees, okay, when she's she's DMing me and on Instagram, she's like, hey, dear, I'm going to need this ride, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, okay, I can get you. It's going to be 60 bucks an hour. She agrees to this. I drive out. I start the stopwatch on my iPhone, and I'm, you know, I was thinking, okay, $60 an hour means a dollar a minute. So however long it takes me to get from my condo to you to take you to whatever you need to do to then take you back, I'm just going to start a running clock when I leave my condo, and whatever it is, you'll pay, okay? So I pick her up, and then we head to Audubon Hospital, where they're doing drive-through COVID testing. And we waited for her to get a COVID test. And this wasn't, um, uh, she, she didn't think that she was positive. She was about to go do some travel to, she's from a smaller country, like one of the, um, um, not the Dominican Republic, but um, kind of a small, smaller country. I can't remember. Um, and basically, she had to go and get a COVID test to send to the airline to fly internationally. So it wasn't like, hey, I think I have COVID. Will you take me to go get tested? She was doing this as a precautionary thing because she was about to travel the next week. So I literally took her to go get a COVID test. And we waited there for her to get tested. And I just, I rolled down the window and she got swabbed right there in my back seat. And I drove her back to her spot afterwards. Well, we pull up to her spot, and she hands me the $60, and I look at the clock as we're pulling up, though, and it's at an hour and 12 minutes, so I'm like, actually, Janice, it's $72, and she's like, oh, I only have 60 oh, let me see if I have more, had four more bucks, and she's like, you were not really going to hold my feet to the fire for, for you know, $8, right, and I'm like, <laughs> fuck me you know what I mean like yeah 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 no 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 I mean my my rate was clearly you know you knew what it was you knew that it was gonna be you know maybe more than an hour and now we're like you know we're we're a quarter into the next hour like what what do you think we're doing here you know what I mean and she's like oh well I only have you know 64 and I'm like Uh, all right. I mean, listen, we, we already had pulled up to her work at that point. She says there's a gas station close and I could have made her go in and take out the other eight bucks, but I'm like, fuck it. Like this is, you know what? Nope. 
but after this, like, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna trip about eight bucks. But um, you know what? Fine. I'm not I'm not I'm not probably gonna do this um, a whole lot because people think they're hooking you up, and and really, they're not. Uh, they're not. And um, you know, sometimes they do. The guy from Jeff Ruby's, yeah. Uh, this 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 chick, no. Um, but but also it's like okay, so you're you're gonna pay me less than you know what we agreed to a dollar a minute and then on top of that sweet like eight bucks no worries but that also means that you're not even tipping either so that kind of sucks so yeah my rates have gone up I called around I you know figured out what my competitors were charging and I am now priced competitively with the other black car service uh, you know companies here in Louisville and you know what not everybody has the TVs in the back, and and they're also not me. They're also not me. So I could charge a hundred, and I could probably be like, cool with that, you know, because there are definitely other black car services that are charging more than that here in Louisville. But uh, it is what it is. If you want to hit me up, uh, hit me on Twitter at BennyTomp18, eighty-five bucks an hour. There you go. What's popping? Also, uh, this last week, the first time that I have ever looked back in my back seat and seen a car seat. <laughs> it was scary. It was it was kind of scary. Uh, obviously not mine, thank God. Um, I picked up a woman and, and she had a car seat and a little baby and she puts it back there and um, I, I looked back there and I told her, I was like, you know, that this is the first time that I've ever looked in my back seat and have seen a car seat and it's it's kind of scary. I hope it never happens again. <laughs> and I was obviously joking, and she, she knew that I was joking, and uh, we we laughed about it. But yeah, that was uh, probably the first and last time that I ever see a car seat in my back seat, unless somebody else brings another car seat into the car. <laughs> uh, one liner of the week. One liner of the week comes from a girl that we'll call Kylie. I picked Kylie up. I was taking her to work, and she was saying. Basically, yeah, I'm glad that I looked at the app again because I almost ran out of time. She goes, I saw that it said 13 minutes away. I said, cool. Then it said six minutes away, and I said, no, sir. Time to puff, puff, wash, wash, and get, get. (laughs) Kylie, ladies and gentlemen. And finally, we're going to end, as we always do, on a positive note, a positive story, so you don't leave this podcast feeling as depressed as I was at the beginning of this, and and probably you were too. So Sunday night, I was three rides away from hitting an incentive. If you completed 20 trips between 4 a.m. Friday to 4 a.m. Sunday, then you got an extra $55. And sometimes Uber will do these different um, incentives, right? And it just depends on what they are. You can choose your own. And if you want to be like a go-getter, you know, like there was one time that I did, um, it was you hit your incentive if you complete 50 rides from Monday to Monday to Friday at 4 a.m. And I got close, but I didn't get it. And then I realized maybe I shouldn't do the, the most possible ones. I should do like one that I can actually hit. So on the weekends, it's not a guarantee that I'm driving every weekend, you know, um, like this weekend. I'm not going to be driving at all. I'm going to be in New Orleans, you know what I mean? So I picked the lowest possible one you could this past weekend, 20 trips between Friday to Sunday, and I was three rides short because I ended up driving a lot on Friday and Saturday, and so Sunday night rolls around, and I'm hanging with my girl, and I'm at her house, and I'm like, 
man, I got these three rides and then I'll get, you know, an extra 55 bucks. It's a nice little bonus on top of the week. And she's like, just go do it. Like, you'll feel so good if you do it. And I didn't want to do it because it was, I mean, Sunday night, it was rainy, it was cold, and it there was a really good, uh, there, you know, I don't want to leave NFL Sunday if I don't have to, right? But I leave, I go out at 7 p.m., and I figure three rides, okay, that'll take me about an hour, okay? Three rides, you can usually get about three rides in in an hour. So I drive from her place, downtown Louisville, and the first chick that I picked up didn't talk at all, and which was fine. Um, it was an eight-minute ride. But then the second rider, we'll call her Madeline, Madeline and her husband got in for my second ride, and they were also a quick ride, like five or six minutes, okay? But they tell me a nice story uh, about how they met and 20 years ago uh, fell in love. So I pick them up, and I ask them how they're doing, and uh, they ask how I'm doing, and I say, great, great, I'm just doing three rides tonight. You're my second of the night. They say, well, we, we wish we were taking you on a longer trip so you could get more money if you're only doing three and I say, you know what, Madeline, more than money, you can give me a story and that would suffice. She says, okay, a story. Oh, oh boy. She looks at her husband. She says, you've got lots of stories. Please do tell. I say, give me your best story. She goes, oh my God, this is tough. We only have like five minutes, right? Yep. She goes, think, think. Her husband says, this is like cash cab. We got to give him something. She says, oh, um, do how we met, do how we met. He says, all right, all right, well, Benjamin, you know there's a saying, if a butterfly flaps its wings in China, it could cause a hurricane in the United States? Like, some little event can cause a big thing? Sure. So, and then his wife cuts in, she goes, you gotta confine it to just five minutes, dude, you gotta speak fast. He goes, he looks at her and he stops and he goes, if you stop fucking interrupting me, I can't. She goes, okay, go. So anyways, I was the general manager at an Applebee's in southern Pennsylvania, and I got transferred in, and she was one of the managers, and we got all of our deliveries from Bob's Trucking Company, and they're in South Carolina, right on the I-95, and on Sunday night, these two good old boys would get in their truck, drive up, drop off their stuff, so same old guys. Well, at one point, Somebody who had worked for the trunking company died, had worked there 20 years, and then he suddenly died. So all these guys who drove were going to go to the funeral for this guy on Monday. So they really had nobody to deliver these contracts they had for Applebee's. And I mean, these are like national contracts. So they had a woman who had just gotten her CDL, like just gotten it, two weeks earlier. And someone who worked in the office, another woman who worked in the office as a secretary that had never gone on a route. They went up from South Carolina up to Pennsylvania, had to drive around, drop stuff off, some places in New Jersey, but they had no idea what they were doing. So they're supposed to get to our restaurant Monday morning at 11. And I kept getting updates through the day. And on Mondays, me and my kitchen manager would get there at six o'clock and do our inventory. Well, then we get an update that says they're going to be there at noon. Then we get another one that says they're going to be there at 2. Then 6. Then 8. So me and my kitchen manager got there at 6 a.m. Well, we're done at 4 o'clock. And then Madeline whispers to him, You have three minutes. 
He clears his throat. He's annoyed, no doubt, and continues. I sent the kitchen manager home. Madeline was my assistant that worked 10 o'clock to 8 o'clock. And the night manager is supposed to come in after her. So I'm sitting there waiting for the delivery to come in. Well, I'm the general manager. I'm sitting there at the bar. I order a drink because I'm the general manager. And I'm really not supposed to be drinking, but I start drinking at like 4 o'clock. Well, Madeline gets off at 8 o'clock. She sits with me. She starts drinking. The night manager, who's hanging out, and we find out that the truck's now going to get there at 12 o'clock. She's done at 10 o'clock because that's the time that we closed on Mondays. She stays and drinks. The truck shows up at 1 o'clock a.m. Now, I don't know if you've ever unloaded the truck, but usually the semi is loaded and everything is in nice, neat rows. They're wrapped up. They finally pull into the parking lot and there's boxes everywhere. Madeline speaks up now and says, everything had shifted. It was a mess. He says, yeah, we had to sort everything out. We had to sort it all out. And finally, at 2 o'clock in the morning, we finally pulled off all our stuff. Now, we knew what we were supposed to get, and we could have pulled off other stuff, and these two morons would have had no idea. I could have pulled hundreds of dollars worth of steaks and made my food costs look great the next week just by screwing everybody over. But no, no, I pulled off everything that I was supposed to have, I made sure things were more organized than when they pulled in. I mean, we really helped these women out. But at that point, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. Madeline and I were drinking. I had an apartment across the street. And I'm like, you don't want to drive home. Why don't you come and sleep with me tonight? And you can come and crash on my couch. I go, I'm in the front seat. And I go, hey. He goes, yeah, of course that didn't happen. <laughs> and all three of us laugh. And he says, and that was 22 years ago, July 27th, 1998. And we wound up living together, had our wedding July 28th, 2001. So we got married three years and one day after this guy died and this butterfly flapped its wings. So that's your story. <laughs> and he finished in perfect time. He, he really was drifting a little bit there, and if she hadn't kept him on track, he might have gone over because he was, and I cut out a lot of the little details that he was like going into painstaking detail about, you know, when, and, and you could tell sometimes when somebody's not that great of a storyteller because they're focusing on all the wrong things. It's like, cut to the chase, get to the juicy shit, give us the, give the people what they want, you know what I mean? And he was spending a lot of time on, on like, you know, the, the ins and outs of the delivery routes and the contracts and the way they were written and all this shit. And she's like, come on, come on, you're not gonna run out of time. You always do this when you tell stories, you know, poking him in the ribs. But he finished in perfect time. He landed the plane and... That was a pretty good story. A nice feel-good story after a lot of raw and real talk that uh, was put onto Uber Stories 14, the podcast, this episode. All right. Hey, best of the best next week. I will have that for you guys next Wednesday, plus some stories from the Maddie Daddy New Orleans trip. That's Maddie Daddy. I'm I'm Daddy. She's Maddie. Hey, nice to meet you. Nice to be nice. To, good to see you. All right. Yeah, Maddie Daddy New Orleans trip. Sully and Boo. Happy Halloween, everybody. Best of the best next week. Drink some Four Roses bourbon and call it a day. 
I am Ben Tompkins. That is Real Talk.